Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into Wabo's most underappreciated work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on, Elliot. Does something sound different to you about that? Yeah, well, I think if we have any keen listeners out there, they may have noticed that we, uh, we've changed the intro because Deep Impact is uh, now part of the Doof uh, Network. Yeah, wow. Uh, so some people might have already seen that announcement, but for those of you who don't know what that means, uh, <laughs> Deep Impact has, has joined a podcasting network that Elliot and I have been uh, listeners of for a, a long time. What, like three years now, Elliot? Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. Feels maybe two years, something like that. Um, yeah, so we're, we're pretty excited to be uh, to be joining the Doof, the Doof crew. Um, now, what does this mean for, for our listeners, Elliot? Um, geez, you put me on not, the spot here. I don't know. <laughs> not much was the answer I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I couldn't think of anything. <laughs> well, basically what it means is that uh, Elliot and myself are more supported to make this show and, and to keep bringing the show that we really enjoy making to the people who enjoy listening to it. Um, what it also means is that we're going to be talking about some other shows that we really like every so often and encouraging people to check them out as well. Um, yeah, it, it basically means we're going to be Deep Impact is going to be growing, hopefully. So, um, yeah, we're, we're excited to see that. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, any other stuff, any other announcements? Any other big big news, Elliot? Um, nothing, nothing that I can think of. Well, I have one piece of big news, which is Mrs. Lewis helps Blake and Rose deliver this letter <laughs> finally in this chapter. This letter that we've been hearing about for so long finally gets delivered. Um, yeah, you know, people keep telling me Pact has, uh, you know, too intense pacing, but... Um, <laughs> It's taken three three chapters to deliver a letter, so I don't know what they're on about. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a real indictment of the uh, US Postal Service here. Um, but, yeah, so uh, obviously we were left in Damages 2.5 with Mrs. Lewis and Blake and Rose heading to finally deliver this letter. And we get it. Oh, what a setup and payoff. The cliffhanger has been resolved. People have been asking, will they, won't they deliver that letter? And they do. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> let's talk about it. Let's, uh, let's dive into it a bit more. So, um... Uh, Basically, they <laughs> Mrs. Lewis points them to a library as the method of delivery, which is a interesting decision. Um, yeah, basically to try and be more dramatic, right? Um, yeah, and so she sort of gives this whole speech about how, again, and this is sort of what we've been learning about for the last two chapters. Um, delivering it in a dramatic fashion kind of adds up how much the spirits are going to help things along, um, which I'm assuming is something that's unique to practitioners and the, the packed universe isn't just full of like overly dramatic people getting their way. Um, but it hasn't really been stated. Um, well, like, you know, magicians and people who work in theater in the packed universe are much more likely to be successful just because the spirits are really into it. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I definitely, I love the way they sort of go about this. Like they, they address the letter for like, you know, RCMP eyes only, like contains details of <laughs> Molly Walker's murder. Secret, and it, very important. Yes, <laughs> it, it gives us like, cause, cause I know Blake and Rose are still new to it, but there's a sense like practicing is so serious and everything matters so much. <laughs> And they're just kind of like they—they they feel like high school drama students, where they're just trying yeah. to like make it as as dramatic as possible. Um, it's like burning the edges of a map and dipping it in coffee yeah. to stain it. it. Feels like the equivalent of like, ooh, I'm going to make a treasure map and make it really realistic. Yeah, um, um, yeah, it's very fun. Uh, yeah, it's 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 great. Um, and then there's also this bit where Blake can't get seen on security cameras because that would make it less of like a 
you know, mystery. It, it would just turn it into like, you know, the cousin of the girl who died trying to set up the chief <laughs> yeah. of police. Um, yeah. And so Blake learns to use his second sight a bit more. Um, and I mean, he's, yeah, this he's still is, got a way I to go. This really cool. I, well, yeah, he's he's so he's still pretty beaten up from the fight. I mean, literally beaten up from from, uh, from <laughs> yeah. last chapter. And so he, he, you get the sense that he kind of really pushes it to be able to use his to his powered up second sight here. But he eventually does learn how to do it, and he, he learns to see a lot more. He can see like where the security cameras are seeing. He can see where people walk the most from day to day by the kind of after images of their you know, of their path, um, stuff like that. Yeah, which is a sort of a crazy new development. Like, it, it, it's sort of when we had this sense of, like, when he stopped focusing on specific types of spirits, I guess, and opened himself up just to sort of the mess of them, like, yeah. I, I, I got, I, I sort of got that development as a way of, like, just showing you there's so much and, and if you just sort of blur your eyes a bit, you can see even more. And then he started yeah. to see, like, you know, remnants of where spirits have been, which is a bit of a new development. And that's just the amount of information. Like now I can sort of see how Miss Lewis can know so much of these things that she's been sort of staying. Cause if you, yeah. if you have a really trained eye for this stuff, it seems like the amount of information you can gather from a, a place is, is borderline infinite. Um, you know, it's, yeah. it's insane. We were talking a few chapters ago about, about June, the ghost and about uh, stone tape theory of, of ghosts and i think this is kind of the the mm. level up of that concept right like oh not just ghosts have this kind of impact on the world everything does all the time and you can see it if you look for it yeah yeah totally um so there's a little point here blake is kind of talking about how his sight is he's pretty beaten up and so he doesn't know if he can use his sight and he says oh rose why don't you do it and rose says um oh no i don't think i can and blake's like oh what? Why not? And Rose says uh, something to the effect of, oh, when I thought I was seeing spirits, I actually think I was seeing something else, so I can't really do that. <laughs> and she doesn't really want yeah, to explain Blake, any further. <laughs> Blake pretty much explicitly says, you're going to have to give me more than that. And she's yeah. like, ah, I'll do it later. Um, yeah. What is going on with Rose at the moment? <laughs> like, that's that's uh, This was the point, I think, where I was starting to be like, this is getting creepy with how much... I feel like she's not sharing. Like, there's there's something going on here that feels suspicious. Yeah, I mean, it might be because I've been sort of looking at everything so closely, but I, I've been starting to get that feeling for a while now. Like, she... um, Because when they originally did the ceremony, I think she sort of was like, oh, it didn't work, I'm seeing something. And the I'm seeing something line kind of got a bit lost in, in everything else that happened after that because she was clearly like, yeah. ticked off. Um, yeah. But there's just been more and more little little hints that Rose isn't or hasn't been completely honest. There's something she's been omitting um, at least as far back as when she awakened. Um, now, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Elliot. What do you think she's leaving out? you got to call it. Call the shot. Oh, um... I mean, I definitely think part of it, I don't know if this relates to her vision, I think that the lawyers told her more the first night that she woke up um, and came to find Blake than she's let on. I think that there's been some secret she's been holding on to since they first interacted um, mm. that I think has to do with a... Uh, presumably there's some things set up to have her replace Blake because I've noticed she gets a bit... She seems her most depressed when Blake is being really kind to her. Um, <laughs> you think she's and, feeling guilty? Yeah, I wonder if there's a little bit of guilt uh, associated with the fact that she thinks maybe she's meant to replace him, um, yeah. and 
and you know so she doesn't like it when he's actually a decent human being interesting well we'll add that to the speculations list um but okay. despite rose's uh, uh deceptions she <laughs> she is good at at bullshitting she's good at making little speeches um, <laughs> they drop off a letter uh in the in the kind of book return slot at the library and rose gives a little speech just to kind of help it along its way make it a bit more dramatic um she, yeah again just hitting that note of rose really kind of getting the wordplay stuff and really being a natural at it yeah i do think and and maggie sort of points this out later in the chapter but there's very much this sense of like when Rose has been told to play up the drama, she seems to have gone very much towards like Victorian England <laughs> type like speaking. Like yeah. this, this speech she drops off is very, um, you, you know, somebody trying to speak as eloquently as they can, and so they're going to like Victorian era England. Yeah, it, um, it makes me. And it, it's great. <laughs> it reminds me of being in in you know English class in high school, and you just kind of have to make stuff up yeah. at that point to do your your literary analysis now hopefully we've gone past that point now but <laughs> it does seem that that's basically what rose is doing here just like uh bullshit bullshit oh yeah victorian era english will make it sound fancy uh, okay there we go <laughs> um yeah uh but i mean it definitely you know like it it did sound pretty good and and well yeah. i guess we'll see if it worked but uh yeah she's, yeah. she's good at it um so they they finally dropped off the letter did it got there uh, and uh, they they basically start to head home, and Blake is trying to you know get more info out of Mrs. Lewis. Um, and so at this point, Mrs. Lewis basically says, you know, I've been helping you out out of the goodness of my heart, but if you want more information, you know, I I'm I'm here as as an employee, so you uh, you have to pay me basically. It'll cost you a minutes. Yeah, and what's what's so funny about this is this is. Uh, so she sets up this thing where she'll give them hints or just say random bits of information and if they piece things together then like you know great but if they explicitly want it then she'll have yeah. to charge them which is similar to what Johannes said yeah, a few this, times ago this is exactly what Johannes did um Johannes did uh, like uh, about an arc ago yeah. and it was so much creepier when he did it whereas <laughs> there's just something about Miss Lewis that I just in- instinctively trust even though I know I shouldn't um, yeah, I, and <laughs> yeah, I love this line. Uh, like going back to the rose thing a bit, I love this line where she's uh, Blake is just sort of going on. He's like, "I'm so tired um, right now. Is this the vestige thing?" And she just smiles at him. He's like, "The vestige thing." Yeah, <laughs> it's such a troll answer. Yeah, a real like, non-answer. <laughs> a real like, yes, that's um, what you're saying. That's correct, and not actually like hinting at the the wild <laughs> amount of information behind the answer there. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it really feels like it, it's another tick, I think, in the box of there's something she knows about Rose that, that she's not saying mm. um, thing because it, it just feels so like, oh, yeah, if that's what we're calling it, sure. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so they kind of start talking more about vestiges after this um, and Mrs. Lewis thinks, oh, well, she says, rather than just talk about this, I'm going to show you. And she leads them to the North End and we basically get this confirmation that the north end has been turned into one big vestige where there's basically copies of people that live there in the real world as vestiges that others can go to to basically just hunt down people 24 7 or people in air quotes yeah (laughs) yeah the copies of people so like and i'm a little unclear on some of the specifics because it kind of sounds like as they moved there they were just naturally gravitating towards the vestige version which I assume is something that only applies to, you know, practitioners and, like, you know, so that the normal people don't even realise what's going on. Um, 
but it's it's funny because it really gets to Rose. Like she's like, oh, you know, that's awful that they're killing these copies of people. Yeah. Um, obviously because she is, you know, a, a vestige of a person. Yeah. Um, but it, it, I couldn't help but relate it back to what she was saying about June, like two chapters ago, where it's just like, no, that's just some remnant. Like, forget about it. Uh, <laughs> you know, she's she clearly seems to have drawn from her perspective this line in the sand about when a copy matters and yeah. when it doesn't. Um, and that's just a copy yeah. of a person. They don't matter. But I'm a copy of a person, so I matter. <laughs> it's very, uh, yeah, she's she's definitely got a very vague line. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I can see where she's drawn the line, but I just think it's funny given her situation that she managed to draw it right there. Uh, it seems quite a, a bit self-serving where she's placed yeah. it. Um, so we get, uh, Mrs. Lewis brought them here to basically give them a hint to some answer, but she doesn't tell them the answer. So it is a bit open to interpretation. Um, Rose Rose kind of thinks that what Mrs. Lewis is trying to say is that uh, within domains, there's an ability to kind of break or bend the rules. And so maybe that can be used to break or bend the rules for vestiges, right? Yeah, that's that's sort of the, the takeaway I think we sort of get to is we've heard that you can alter the rules a bit in your domain. So essentially the idea here would be if Blake claims a domain, he can bring rose out of the mirrors inside of it or something yeah or um, you know change her her limitations make her not sap power from him or make her not like expire and and get ruined yeah 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 there's there's a lot of unknowns but that it, it, it the the message basically seemed to be get a domain get a domain like, yeah get a domain do it <laughs> uh, or, or really get anything um they head back to the to the house and Mrs. Lewis basically says to them, you guys need to get a familiar, an implement or a domain in the next month. Full stop. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, this point is, is kind of constantly punctuated by Blake basically being on the verge of passing out as this whole conversation is going on. And it's like, yeah, you need an alternate source of power. Like you can't keep ending up like yeah. this. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And, and-, and I like this bit. So, so they've got the hair from the fairy. And and she also explains a bit about how that works. Like they can use the glamour power to, um, you know, try and get some sort of effect out of it. I have no idea what effect they could possibly go for with a piece of hair, based on the examples she gives. But <laughs> I'll be interested to see if they do something with it. Um, yeah, I, I like that. It, 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 <laughs> Blake kind of comes away with the thought of what is a hair naturally good at, <laughs> and there's not really an answer <laughs> to that question. <laughs> yeah like maybe maybe like a disguisey wig type angle i don't know um but it's it it's great because then there's this thing where it's like you know if you had glamoured earrings that give you increased hearing the the, you seem to get some kind of bad karma for doing that where Mm. eventually the universe will hit you back by making you like deaf or something um yeah i'm assuming this only applies to glamoured items like you know if they use june in the hatchet to freeze someone you know blake's hand isn't going to burn off an arc later um i'm assuming i get the sense that Uh, it's more with the hair like hey if they use or let's use the earring example because it is a good one you have this earring that gives you better hearing you need to take care of that earring right if you fail whatever spirits care about that earring will have the backlash of well now you get the kind of ironic (laughs) alanis morissette (laughs) punishment version of that benefit which is now you lose your hearing right Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. So that's slightly different to, to how I understood it, but that makes sense. Mm. Um, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I do I do love the little angle of the ironic punishment, so I feel like there's going to be some cool examples of that by the time the book is done. Uh, mm, no comments. Uh, and it may, it, may, it may even be what happened to Maggie. Um, 
We'll uh, see. Yeah, so basically, Mrs. Lewis gives them this ultimatum. You guys have a month. Get a familiar, an implement, or a domain by the end of the month, or else you're busted. Um, and uh, as part of this, we kind of get a bit more information about what these things represent, right? So getting a familiar is making a lifelong bond with a an other, which is kind of like marriage analogy, I suppose. <laughs> Um, mm. getting a yeah. domain is like settling down in a place forever and getting an implement is basically like consolidating your personality into an item so you really have to know who you are or like what you want or where you want to be to make one of those choices uh, yeah so we sort of had some idea about this um but this is definitely framing it in a in a different way that it's you know a little bit more intense i i do i did like the comparison of picking an other is a familiar to dating like it's like find your hobbies and then find an other who shares the same hobbies like what does that even mean yeah like all the others we've seen so far are murderous psychopaths Blake's like, hobby at the moment is staying alive so maybe there's some others yeah. who like that um yeah and, and uh, mrs lewis really hammers home the importance of this by saying to blake barring exceptional circumstances you are going to die soon like no joke straight up look at me you're gonna die um well yeah and i like this because it's right after blake sort of says um oh i want to be careful picking a familiar if it's like as important as marriage and you know i don't want someone like the barber and and she just sort of responds i mean honestly i don't know if you have to worry that much about a lifelong bond because i don't think you have that much life left to live anyway yeah like which is a bit of a (laughs) you know uh it hits blake pretty hard um as it yeah um yeah she's yeah, I guess this is the right time to talk about this. Mrs. Lewis has basically been saying, hey, I'm here to endear myself to you. Um, and then she drops this on Blake. She drops, you're yeah. going to die. And this kind of demonstrates that her plan to endear herself to Blake has worked pretty successfully, right? Because he, he takes this and he respects it and he listens to it, um, which is important because this is basically what everybody has been saying to him 24-7. And this is the first time <laughs> it really he really gets it, right? Yeah, but but at the same time, it's it's it perfectly suits her ends because you know this whole thing is part of her recruitment drive, and and the endearing part of her niceness is to you know make him want to join yeah. up, putting the fear of God in him by saying that he's probably going to die yeah. very soon. Yeah, also fits that uh, motive because it's going to make him more desperate, which you know puts him more where. Yeah, they I want guess him. she's kind of been the carrot up until now, and now we get the stick, right? you're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Pretty intense. Uh, and you really, you know, it feels like the truth, Blake. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, Mrs. Lewis says at this point, basically escorted them back to their house. And when they get back, uh, Maggie, Maggie Holt, is everyone's favourite character, is waiting there for them. <laughs> um, and they just kind of chat for a bit. And then Blake and Rose invite them in to, to read some books, which <laughs> she seems to love. Yeah, it's a, it's like a cute little practitioner play date. Um, you know, it, it's it's a great little like Maggie just seems so fun, and I, I think part of that like her, the not being lewd thing just makes her seem so kind of innocent, which yeah. I, I have a feeling is probably not right. But you know, the yeah. bit where where she's like, "Who are you?" to Miss Lewis, and Miss Lewis is like, "I'm one of uh, the late Rose Thorburn's associates," and Maggie's like, "Oh." Uh, golly (laughs) (laughs) she kind of reaches for Um, something doesn't find it and has to settle for golly instead which is fun um it's hilarious and she's just like you know i i love like uh, an underdog story and maggie just seems like this little innocent underdog who's kind of 
trying to just trying to best but has no resources and a perfect ally for blake and i don't know if that's actually going to hold up but um i'm excited to see more of a next chapter presumably yeah. um so yeah that's how the chapter ends with maggie going inside to read some books <laughs> well she said she can only be there for 20 minutes which is really good because like Blake needs to go to bed. Like, mm. I don't really know what he was thinking. Like, Rose was like, come back later. And I was thinking, yeah, that's the right call. And Blake was like, no, come in now. <laughs> he's he's just and... been told he's going to die. He needs to do something, Elliot. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to be proactive, I guess, yeah. um, which is classic yeah. Blake. Um, yeah, but that's the end of uh, of Damages 2.6. Mm. So what did you think overall about this chapter, Elliot? Um, yeah, I mean, I liked it. This sort of felt like an in-the-middle chapter. Like, we had the action last time and then this was sort of the wind down like we actually deliver the letter and and sort of as we're winding down we got a lot of new information um dumped on us um you know so it was very much a chapter of like filling in some more gaps uh still getting them in riddles um hopefully at some point we'll get information i fully understand in this story (laughs) um uh but yeah like it and you know obviously then it set itself up for uh what i assume is next chapter chatting with maggie so i look forward to yeah. it yeah yeah i really like this chapter too i think yeah i mean we've kind of hit this point a bit before but the exposition impact is so fun just because of the systems in the world you know like it's just so much fun hmm. finding out about another aspect of how this world works um and mrs lewis really is a very endearing character despite the fact that she's very clearly yeah. quite you know <laughs> evil no i I definitely feel i definitely feel like i imagine blake does where it's just i can't help but be like oh yeah miss lewis is great we can trust her but also i know objectively that he totally should not trust her um yeah but that has been made explicitly clear yeah even by her Um, yeah exactly like (laughs) you can't help but do it anyway yeah which is a testament to how well her plan to endear herself has worked in this situation yeah (laughs) um yeah yeah, anyway, that's uh, Damages 2.6. Uh, so we're going to dive into a, a monster corner here, which is a, a, from a few chapters ago. We, I wanted to talk more about uh, demons, and specifically we're going to take a look at Orneus, the name that Blake says six and a half times. Um, <laughs> I, so first of all, just a little fun fact here. Orneus is translated, it means pesky, which is just a silly name for a demon, right? Like pesky, doesn't really that make sense. Pe- Pesky doesn't really suit as a word for what we got hinted at yeah. last chapter. Um, it sounded a lot more serious than pesky. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, this is going to kind of dive into a bit more about demons and and where they mythology mythologically might come from for Pact, um, because Orneus is is the first demon that is mentioned in something called the Testament of Solomon, right? Which is this text that is like falsely attributed to be written by King Solomon, and so it's kind of like this weird hmm. thing where. It kind of is written to be very biblical, but isn't because it's not, you know, it's not written by, by any of, of the actual apostles. It's it's falsely attributed attributed to King Solomon. And so it's like in this weird place of like half a biblical text, but half not. Um, yeah. And so presumably like this sort of fits into Pact because obviously we were introduced to um, Suleiman bin Daud or something, yeah. um, who was the original sort of practitioner that actually made a difference and and i think you know his thing was called the seal of solomon or something so it's very much like i'm assuming that the solomon that was mentioned during 1.6 is meant to be uh or at least we're meant to think it is the solomon you know the king solomon um from the old testament yeah i I don't know if that's accurate yeah yeah. i think 
Well, the story of the Testament of Solomon is <laughs> a weird one, but it's, it describes King Solomon using a magical ring given to him by the Archangel Michael to basically take control of demons and get them to build him a temple. Um, and so the, the narrative yeah, of so him being... It kind of sounds like yeah. what we heard of Solomon in, in Pact. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so it, you do get the sense that this is kind of a, a basis for a lot of what we hear about demons. Um, but for now, let's, let's kind of... We'll, we'll get back to the seal of Solomon and Solomon and stuff probably later on uh, as we find out more about it. Sure. For now, let's, let's stick to Orneus. So some fun, some fun Orneus facts here for you here, Elliot. So he was the first demon mentioned in the Testament of Solomon, and in it he appears, <laughs> he appears to a boy every day at sunset to steal half of his wages and suck his thumb to steal his energy, which is just like such nonsense. Wait, so he, su- he sorry, he sucks the boy's yes, thumb to steal the energy of this boy, as well as stealing half well, of his wages. I mean, that's pretty pesky. I get it. <laughs> yeah, no. So the pesky name kind of makes <laughs> sense. Um, we we don't actually get many details on Orneus in Pact to compare to the kind of historical origin, but we do kind of get the sense that he's a big bad demon dude, which kind of makes sense for him being the and first. An, and an old yeah, one. Yeah, and it makes sense. It, you know, he's the first demon mentioned in the in the Testament of Solomon that kind of tracks. Um, <laughs> so the story continues that Solomon noticed that this boy was growing thinner by the day and basically figured out what was going on and got him to throw this magical ring into the chest of the demon to take command of him and put him to a cutting stone in his temple. Right. Standard. Makes sense. As you do, yeah. As you do. But, twist, because Orneus is scared of touching iron, and so he revealed this to Solomon, and Solomon, I guess, was like, yeah, all right, I guess I can't put you to work on my temple then, and just got him to do other stuff instead, (laughs) which feels very (laughs) altruistic when you've taken control of a demon. Yeah, that's it sounds like they had a more positive relationship than I would have expected between um imprisoned demon and pris- you know demon capturer. Yeah, it's, it's I get the sense that a lot of this a lot of these texts are just kind of nonsense in a lot of ways. Um this one is no different. We we get one last fact about Orneus before he kind of disappears from the Testament of Solomon for a while, which is he has three forms. He says to Solomon, Sometimes I'm a man who craves the bodies of effeminate boys, and when I touch them, they suffer great pain. That sounds kind of like demon stuff, right? Fairly standard. Yeah, that sounds like the whole... Because, like, you know, obviously, demons, at least in like the Middle Ages and stuff, were all about, like, it, you know, just being scapegoats for kind of diseases, both of the mind yeah. and body. Um, and, and that kind of sounds like Orneus was originally perhaps this metaphor for uh, pedophilia i guess yeah it's interesting um yeah i i didn't get too many overt references to that but it, it definitely this feels like there's a link there um a- anyway orneus says to solomon his second form sometimes i become a creature with wings flying up to the heavenly regions okay demon demon has That's wings pretty... makes sense it's pretty powerful and then we yeah. get to the third form here where he just says finally i assume the appearance of a lion and that's all he says about it <laughs> Bit of a weird, you know, a weird final final form there. It's just he turns into a lion sometimes. Yeah, that wasn't the best one to end on. He should have... Yeah, he hasn't heard of the concept of a shit sandwich, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I thought it would be fun to just dive into a bit of Orneus and maybe if we see him again, we'll kind of have some context on what, what, he, what kind of things he might turn into. Lions, mainly. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, cool. Well, that's the end of, of Deep Impact for another few days. And I guess this is the point where we should point out 
that this is the first time that we're going to be having a bonus chapter. Um, yeah. The next episode is actually coming out in two days here, uh, which will be Damages 2.x, uh, the first bonus Ooh. interlude. Oh, it's an interlude. Cool. Um, yeah, and so that'll be on Wednesday the 6th. Um, so, you know, just two days after this episode comes yeah. out. For those of you who aren't familiar with, with uh, the bonus interludes, they're basically like a reward for people... If they back uh, Wildbow, who writes the stories, um, if they back him enough, then he'll do bonus chapters. Um, so that means an additional chapter to the yeah. two that are normally released every week. Yes, which I mean, every time that happened for Pact, uh, we'll be doing an additional episode that week. Yep, um, so we got... And if you want to donate to Wildbow uh, to make sure he keeps doing bonus chapters or, you know, even just the regular chapters... <laughs> um, you can head on over to patreon.com slash wildbow and, uh, you know, donate yeah. there. Um, we talked about joining the Doof Network uh, earlier in the episode, um, and that means that there'll be a new place to check out where you can find our shows if you want to kind of get in contact and stuff with us. Um, and that is the Doof Media website, which is just doofmedia.com. <laughs> so there you'll find uh, things like the, the Doof Patreon, which is uh, also at patreon.com slash doofmedia, as well as all the other great shows that are a part of the Doof Network. Um, specifically, uh, if you listen to our other show, Media MD, you might have heard us talk about Sense8 a while back. Uh, well, the directors of Sense8, the Wachowskis, are being the subject of a series of, of shows uh, by the Doofcast, a Doof Media show. Um, mm. They are just, they've just released the episode on Cloud Atlas, which is a very fun and funny movie. Uh, so I greatly recommend you go check out the uh, the Doofcast episode on that. Yeah, I'm excited because I, I love Cloud Atlas and I haven't listened to their episode on it yet. I'm a little bit nervous because if they didn't love it, then, you know, what will I do with myself? I think the thing I love the most about Cloud Atlas is that the saying things are the true true has just kind of entered the public vernacular now, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> I hear that. I hear people say that's the true true. And I'm like, oh my God, that's such a stupid <laughs> reference. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's not what I would have taken out of the movie, oh, yeah. but but whatever. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so uh, you can check out uh, doofmedia.com to find uh, Deep Impact as well as all the other great Doof Network shows. Um if you want to uh, get in contact with us, leave us your thoughts on uh, Damages 2.x so we can, uh, you know, chat chat more about the show. You can do that through our discussion threads or our Twitter, which will be linked in the show notes down below. Yes. I think that's everything. Uh, yeah. We'll yeah. see everybody next week for our first bonus chapter, 2.x. Not next week, sorry, in two days for our next bonus chapter, uh, 2.x. See ya. Bye. Bye.